and welcome to episode 83 of the Carrier's Edge podcast. I'm Mark Morell, co-founder of Carrier's Edge. I'm Jane Desrao, the other one. And for anybody who has listened to this podcast at all in the past, you know that early January means one thing and pretty much one, one thing, thing only. only for us. And that is the scoring of the best fleets to drive for finalists. Beginning of December is nothing but interviews and beginning of January is nothing but scoring. And we have been deep into it. Oh my God, it's hard this year. It is hard. It, it is hard Hard every year. I think every year in January, we have a podcast where I freak out about not getting it done. We both talk about how hard it is and how much there is to do. And then we talk about the things that we've found. And it's like a catharsis that we come out of this thing recharged to go back to it. Yeah, it's well, I think it has actually been extra hard this year because we have new people on the team scoring, which is tough, but also because there's more fleets in the finals than we've ever had before, and people are stepping it up. Yes. And so they write more, which means we have to read more. Which isn't necessarily an indicator of stepping it up. No. Well, no, no, no. It's the quality of the information that they write, but part of the process that we have to go through is figure out what parts matter and what don't. What's fluff? What's, you know, sort of empty sentences, which are, you know how you feel rather than telling us what's actually happening on the ground, like how, you know, your thoughts and feelings is not really relevant. So we have to kind of skip to the, like, you know, where do you answer the question? Mm -hmm. And that's, it's a lot of reading. Like people think it's a lot of writing, but we have to read everything twice, basically. Yeah. I wish they would write less because I've had several already where I'm going through it. And I'm like, yeah, this is garbage. They're not doing anything. This is just marketing BS. It's filler. And then there's three words in the middle of a paragraph. And it was like, that's all I needed to see. Yeah. I, I, now I can see what you were doing. You could have expanded on that and you may have gotten more points. Or just left the three words. Yeah. Or yeah, just had just those three words. Which I think this is also a tradition where we gripe about the way people write their answers. Well, you're basically grading mini essays, 96 mini essays on every question. Yep. And you have to figure out your scoring legend, and then you have to figure out what's important. So there's stuff that people do that are not really mm. super awesome. Like, it's kind of like, oh, okay. So you have to decide what is actually a good thing. What's a, And then, so for all the new people, we have to kind of communicate that. Like, you know, look, all they're talking about is themselves and not talking about drivers in this question. So mm -hmm. you can't give them full marks. It sounds good, but it's only good for the office. What's going on with the poor driver? And that I want to come back to uh, later. But on the, the issue of the, the newbies helping, we have that pretty much every year. Now, yeah, it's like a tradition now. Yeah, anybody who starts a position with us during the year in a couple of different departments is going to do a cycle through Best Fleets. Yeah, fair warning for anyone who's actually thinking about trying to get a job here because you get dumped in. It's such a great way to learn about the industry. Yeah. And you level up on industry knowledge so fast because you're just immersed in it. Mm -hmm. And you not it's not just passive either. You have to, if you are part of the interviewing or scoring process, you have to think about what you're saying to people. You have to think about what you're hearing and you have to think about the value of what they're saying. You have to, I mean, it is not... I'm just going to listen. In. Like some people do listen in and do nothing else, which is fine. That's a totally different thing. But the people who are involved, you know, you get a crash course and it's it, it's tiring and it's intense. Yes. And what I'm finding interesting is how much 
it's different even when they're involved in interviewing. So people that are involved in interviewing, you think, okay, you're getting deep into it because they're, they're getting used to kind of burying themselves in somebody's questionnaire and getting to know that company and interviewing them, learning more about what they're doing. And through that, they do start to identify some trends and they start to see some things that people are doing and they, they get familiar with the language. But then when they go to scoring, it's a whole different thing mm-hmm. because the interviewing is kind of a vertical thing. You're looking at everything that one fleet is doing and you don't care about any other fleet during that time. You just care about this one company. But then when you get to scoring, it flips completely to being horizontal where you don't care about this one company. You only care about this one question and you care what everybody is doing in that one question. And that has been really eye-opening for some of the the newbies that are helping us uh, this year is that they are seeing, oh, I did a whole bunch of interviews, but I didn't realize all the different things that people say about this one question because any one of them only did maybe 15 or 20 interviews, which is a good perspective of how things work, but is not the same as looking at 95 different answers for one question. Right. And the question that our new Best Fleets program manager, Trish, she was saying, um, you know, like, what does what are the differences? Like, what does this mean? Mm. There's so many different things. And I'm like, yeah, it's not really so many different things, but it's the language that everybody uses to talk about the same thing. And we were talking about yesterday, we were talking about new entrants and there's so many different bits of language around how a new entrant program works Mm -hmm. that it's almost like you have to learn the industry to figure out what the new entrant program is which i guess is fair now that i'm saying it so poor trish yeah we probably shouldn't have given her that question we did give them some easier ones to start with and then sort of ramped it up a little bit and then yeah both her and selassie got really hard ones yesterday and I, i realized that probably was a mistake. I shouldn't have given them something so difficult. So Lassie got onboarding. It's also, that's also the education about everything, right? Yeah. So every, like he's looking at, you know, what is PSP and what is uh, background checks? And practical uh, and sort of yard training and road testing and all of that stuff. And drug and alcohol and the clearinghouse. So who knows what people are calling that? So you have to figure out what the different names are. Yeah, we weren't seeing too much of that. It, it ended up being what are the different ways that companies can check in with drivers after orientation is done? Who's involved? Is it just the trainer who's involved or is uh, is the company executive getting involved uh, in the onboarding? Is anybody doing pre-work before drivers show up? Which definitely there's more of that, more of the uh, complete these online courses before you show up. And what are the things that he uh, noted... And we talked about it a little bit because we would like to find a way to score it if we could, but it's a really tricky one. And that is the duration of the orientation. Because, well, it's getting to the point that there's some people that say they've got uh, online only. There's basically no classroom. You show up and you get your keys. You do a road test and you get your keys and that's it. And then there's others that are still doing the three-day kind of classroom thing. And they may have some stuff pre-work and then you go with an instructor afterwards, but they're still doing that sort of three days in class. And his point was like, it seems too short. If you're just there for a half a day or you're just showing up to do a road test and then get your keys, that seems like it's way too short. And he's kind of coming with fresh eyes from outside of the industry. And I'm like, yeah, that is way too short. Well, I think it also depends on who you're hiring and what experience they have and what do they need? It's, and I do agree, half a day is short. 
Because you do kind of need to, in an orientation, it's not about knowing how to do the job. It's also knowing about who the people are and how you work with them. And if you don't... How are you going to start building a relationship with that company Mm -hmm. in a half-day orientation? Yeah. Well, if you go in and just meet all the people... You're going to forget those names. I mean, we've had that experience where you go to a new job and you get walked around to, to, to meet everybody. And by lunch, you've forgotten most of them. And also with our own or onboarding process, there's a lot, you know, even when people know how to do the job, it's the job specific to us. Yeah, you get company processes and, and for uh, a fleet, it's going to be something about the equipment, the specifics of the equipment, uh, the way it's configured, the customers, the, the way those things work. So why don't you score it on duration? You've got duration. We don't have it consistently. We should because we have how many days are they you paying for? It's just another question. Yeah. We ask if you pay for orientation. And how many in days? In the compensation. Right. But they don't all answer. They often will say we pay this much per hour or, or you know, we pay this much per day or something. So uh, we might look into it. You should, you should take a look because every time I did an interview, there was, we were getting the number of days. Yeah. This is another problem that we have is that we start scoring and we realize that we want to score on something and we don't have the information for everybody. And it's not terribly fair to. Yeah. Well, the other challenge around that is, OK, show up, do all the work uh, before you show up, come in, get a road test and get your keys. That's not ideal. There should be some time there to get to know the company and learn the specifics. But how much and how much is too much? Is it we don't want to say that you're better just because people are sitting in a classroom for three days or four right. days. That could be inefficient. It could be a huge waste of time. So we have focused on traditionally, we focused on what do you do after orientation to help people get ramped up? So sort of outside of that, we've kind of ignored that block uh, because for a while everybody was doing a lot of the same thing. But they, now I think what we want to do I don't want to go back to what do you do in orientation? No, I think for next year, I think we may want to reword it a little bit to reflect on how long is your orientation. Do you have pre-work? Yeah. So basically, the pro- maybe it's the, the question is, what do you do before drivers come to orientation? What do you do after? Like, do, do drivers do anything before they show up at orientation? Do, how, do, how are drivers supported after orientation? Instead of saying, what is your onboarding process? Like, like just don't, don't even, like, we don't even care. Yeah. It's like we assume that they're going to meet everybody. Yeah. They're, we assume they're going to get a road test. If, if they aren't. Yeah. Don't tell us that you're doing a background check because you're legally required to do a background exactly. check. Exactly. Yes. So what we really care about is, and we may want to say how long is orientation mm-hmm. and how much are they paid for but it. But I, I think there is a change to that question coming. Yeah. Okay. We should probably put that in there. Trish. Trish, can you Add put this that? to your notes. Actually, Carly, can you? Beautiful. Yes. <laughs> Management by podcast. So that's been a, an interesting discussion. And um, yeah, we're, we're finding lots of stuff. I'm, I'm seeing, as we, as we notice, people that are really stepping it up, which we had noticed during the interviews. I noticed that early on when I was just reading through the, the questionnaires. I was like, wow, people are really stepping it up this year. And it's definitely coming in the, in the scoring. I think I was the first one to say it. I was like, oh my God, this is... I remember that conversation that we had. And it was, it might have been like the first week of interviews or something. I just had to look at a couple of questionnaires and they, and from fleets that aren't on the Hall of Fame, that weren't mm-hmm. repeat, like it was like just your regular first timers. And it was like, 
oh, okay, this is mm-hmm. this is not a regular first time questionnaire. Mm-hmm. And actually, there's been a couple of fleets who've just, you know, kind of rocked my world here where it's like I thought I knew them. And then all of a sudden is like, what? Yeah. This is amazing. And it's it's one of those things where I think, well, is it that they've changed a whole lot or they've just got a different person doing it who's telling the story differently? I think it's, well, for for the ones I'm thinking of that are both Canadian and I said that, oh, I said it during one of their interviews. I did, I did tell them this, that it was like, you know, it's like a different company. And, and their response was basically that they wanted to put all these things in. They just hadn't been there long enough to start making changes and they were starting to make changes now. Nice. These were, and they were, they have been following best fleets and they want to do, they want to use the best practices, but they just, you know, just take some time. And sometimes it does. And what is different about them was that usually I see it more gradually. Mm-hmm. But this time it was like your last year's answer was a pretty typical answer for a regular average fleet. And this year it's like not even the same fleet. Yeah. So, you know, what happened to you? <laughs> but so I know for that. And, and I also know that sometimes it is somebody different writing, yeah. answering the questions, which can go both ways. Mm-hmm. Sometimes if you have someone better or someone who does know the company more, or someone who's more involved, does a better job or, or they take the kind of half thoughts that were in there before and expand on them. And it's great. And then sometimes you get a new person who doesn't know what we were looking for, whereas the person before did. And they were their answers were fine. And then all of a sudden I got this yesterday with a fleet who's been in the program for a long time where I was like, what happened to your answer? Like, I know I know what you're doing and it's not this. <laughs> Why? What? And the thing, and we can't we can't be on every single interview and use our historical knowledge of every single fleet. It's really about what you tell us. Well, and part of the challenge with that is you have to start wondering: Did something change there? Like, is it a case where they really they're doing what we have traditionally seen from them? And on your point about you know somebody who knew what we were looking for, well, what we're looking for is the specifics of what you're actually doing, and it was in there, and it might be that they're not doing that anymore, or it might be that somebody didn't like that answer, chopped it out, and filled it with marketing speak or a bunch of wishy-washy stuff that doesn't tell us anything, and we end up having to give a crappier score, even though we know. Well, traditionally, you have been really good in this one area, and we would love to continue giving you that score, but you've changed the answer to say that you're doing less. So we have to reflect that in the score. Yeah. And it's like, ah, but but why? You know, you have this pull of, I've heard them doing this for so many years. I don't know if they're still doing it. It seems like they changed. And I think there's a lot of angst about, oh, well, we didn't follow up in the interview. Well, it's a hundred questions. You've got an hour and a half. Yeah. Yeah, you can't follow up on every single question in every single interview. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at a certain point, it has to be on the fleets to tell us their story and tell us what they're doing, and we have to assess them based on that. Now, in, in their defense, every fleet that I've talked to has been really good about understanding that. 
you know, uh, there's been a lot of cases where I've talked to people and they say, oh yeah, we're doing all of this stuff and it's just not in there. And they understand that we can't score them on what we can't see. Actually, it's funny. I was going through, because what we do is we're kind of the supervisory committee where people will do some scoring and then we check it. Yeah. We're, or we do it as a group. We're the, the scoring review board. We are the scoring review board, which is, I think, more work. It's like trying to teach people to do interviews. It's more work, yeah. but it'll in the long run, it'll be better. So I'm looking, I'm looking at an answer going, wait, why did, why are there points here for this? And so the answer is, well, they're doing this. And I'm like, it's not here. Like it's not written down. I don't see it anywhere. And the, and uh, I think it was Trish said, I know they talked about it. And I said, yeah, but he didn't write it down. And she's like, I don't know because they were all over the place. And this is the other thing is if you're not focused on what the quest, like if we ask you a question in the interview, we want to know a specific answer. We don't want a story. We don't want like if we want a number, give us the number, please. Yeah, please don't give us a story about the greatness of the owner who coughed up a hundred bucks one time. Yeah, that. Yeah. I'm so tired of those. That's um. so and what ends up happening is if people tell us stories and the stories are fine in, in a certain but you have to limit them because you only have you only have so much time. And when you don't get the straight answer, you try and and kind of get it out later. And I'm really good at that. Like I'm that's kind of my forte. I can take, oh, you said this. This actually goes here and this actually goes there. But that's just me. I don't think everybody's good at that. And you have to realize that the interviewer is a human being as well and trying to get the answer to the question. And if you don't give the answer to the question. Even if you have no answer, it's so much better to just say, you know what, we're not doing anything. Let's move on. <laughs> you know? Yep. Let's go to where I am doing something. Yeah. I have so much more respect for the companies that say we should be doing more in this area. Yeah. And there's been a few. I don't remember the questions, but I, I know that I saw that yesterday in something I was reviewing is somebody saying, and it might've been an interviewer note where the interviewer wrote down, yeah, they, they know they should be doing more or they, they talked about how they could be doing more and they're looking into it or something like that. That stuff is fabulous. That tells me that there's some self-awareness there. Yeah. Rather than just trying to paint over it and pretend it's all fine. I think the self-awareness has increased. Yeah. The industry and... Not that the industry was not self-aware, but they're becoming more aware of things that touch drivers in, in like in indirect ways. You know, all of the weird things that we find of, you know, drivers actually, I can't even think of an example right now. But they're starting to see the same things that we have been seeing for the last 10 years and been saying and acting on them without you know, kind of just on their own. I think there's a lot of programs in the industry now, like the Innovate CCJ Innovators, and there's other awards and things like that that are trying to do the same thing and push people forward. Like, think outside the box. Do something different. Don't try. Don't just do what your benchmarking group says. Don't just do what your insurance group says. Do something that you think is right for your own drivers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that kind of leads into one of the other sort of areas that I want to talk about, and you mentioned it off the top, is the idea of things for the management and things for the drivers. <laughs> Which I had kind of, uh, I kind of got to the same place with sort of a different way, is that one of the areas that I, I feel like I want to talk about when we do speeches or stories about this afterwards is 
the reminder or a discussion about how we are looking at all of this through the perspective of the driver. So if the company has got amazing stuff for office staff and not much for drivers, and they answer the question through the lens of everything they're doing for office staff, it's not really getting them a ton of points because it's not helping the driver. Now, in some cases, it is better for the driver to have robust uh, supports for the office staff because that helps the company to be more profitable and a better opportunity for drivers, all of that kind of stuff. But in general, there is definitely an inclination among fleets to answer it through the context of management and not so much thinking about the drivers. So I noticed that the ones where I always notice it are questions about safety program, where they'll answer it through the lens of their efforts on the safety program, not about what the experience is like for the driver, and maintenance, where they'll give you a whole long list of all of the different schedules for things they're doing for maintenance, but they won't really tell you what the experience is like for a driver. They're not thinking about it through the lens of the driver. And you noticed that when you were doing the natural disaster question yesterday, I think. Yeah. Natural disasters, for sure, it's all about what the office does. Yeah. And I'm starting to see, so I'm halfway through the question, and I'm starting to see a little bit of driver inclusion. So when I say that, it's like drivers are mentioned in almost every single answer, but they're mentioned as a passive participant of something that, you know, we're going to tell the driver we're going to reroute the driver. We're going to do this for the driver. We're going to do that for the driver. They talk about their extensive plans, but they don't ever talk about how the driver is involved in the plan. Well, this is where I'm starting to see, I'm starting to see a, a couple of instances of it. But I think that if you have a plan that's going to affect drivers, then shouldn't the drivers be? They should be part of that. Yeah, that should be something built with the, uh, with the advisory board or driver committee or whatever you've got. There are a couple of fleets that have committees, which I think is going to be some of the higher, that's going to be the higher score. And it doesn't even have to involve necessarily a driver, just have peop, multiple people thinking about it. The communication, I'm not saying it's the highest score because I just don't have that many people who are even talking about drivers as an active part of that. The The one thing that I see, and it's not going to get good points, is um, captain of your ship. I don't think that's a really good, that's like, yeah, yeah, driver, just you figure it out by yourself. Let me know what happened. Well, also, is there anybody who doesn't have that? Like, is there anybody who says the driver is not captain of their ship? They do what they're told. Well, no, there are people who say, captain of your ship, you know, we leave it to the driver who has. Yes, they all do that. They don't all say it, but they all do it. Well, to a certain extent, but there's a partnership there. Yes, the driver does not have more information than the carrier. The carrier has time to monitor the weather, find out what it's saying on the news, you know, like having updates for people, figuring out where they want to go, figuring out what customers are doing. Well, it's also, it puts pressure on the driver. Exactly. It's a lot of pressure on them because the driver's going to be thinking, well, what if I, what, you know, what is going to be the implication of my decision here? If I decide not to run and somebody else does, I'm going to look bad. Yeah. I'm going to look bad. What if I go, what if I have to take a detour and do all these extra miles? Am I going to pay, be paid for them? What if I get trapped on the highway? Mm -hmm. We we know that during winter storms, trucks are trapped on the highway. So captain of your own ship is, yeah, that's very nice to say that, you know, you're not forced to do anything. But on the other hand, in a in an emergency. Yeah. Where's the support? 
Yeah. There's... I wonder if that's an example of them just not having the language to describe what they're doing. Because that's one of those things we used to hear all the time in the early days, along with open door policy and name not a number, because they didn't really have the language to talk about what they were actually doing or hadn't thought about it. I think that as more and more natural disasters occur, they're going to have to figure that out. Yeah. And we, because we're going to feed this back and probably talk about it again, that language is going to start coming out. So how do, what do, how do the drivers know what to do? You know, what preparation are there? Are there any practice drills? Does anybody, you know, what, does everybody know what happens when there's a tornado or a hurricane or, or whatever? Does everybody go to their places? Do you have remote capabilities? And that was what I found interesting was that a lot of people only talked about the ability to work from home. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. And it's like, okay, but what about the driver? It's happening to the driver too. And what I think the the reason that we get these answers sometimes from the point of view of the office is that they're not that's their daily life. Yeah. Their daily life is, well, if there's going to be a hurricane, then this is how we get to safety. This is how we get to safety. It's not about how the driver gets to safety. Right. That's the whole answering from the office and not thinking about the driver perspective. The other one that I thought was really, really interesting was the social media. Ah, yes. There are three basic camps. One is you do social media for marketing and recruiting. Sales pitch. Sales pitch. Second one is entertainment. Mm -hmm. And fleets go all out. Like there are fleets that are also entertainment centers. Like they're doing podcasts, radio, video, like they just have a constant stream of 24-hour, like they're their own little um, 24-hour news network where they're actually performing for drivers. But it's very, very one way. Yeah. You know, there's a, and I have nothing against podcasts. I have nothing against, like, I think this is all great. But there's the interactivity. So are you, are you just are you just pushing it out? Are you just doing the entertainment yeah. or are you engaging your fleet? Because it doesn't matter how many followers you have. You know, some of these fleets have, you know, they're 400 drivers and they have 27,000 followers and they're very proud of that. Absolutely. But they don't have 27,000 people lining up to have a job with them. Yeah, I found that as well, uh, that people that invest and there are some that really put a lot of effort into some of these different channels. And it's interesting. They do very well in that specific question and in that specific area. But a lot of times they really are lacking in a lot of other places because all of their effort, all their attention has been in that one particular place. So they may have fabulous podcasts. They may have fabulous social media entertainment like you talk about. And uh, they've got all of this stuff happening around that. But then you get into some of the other questions like you know, professional development section or operational strategy. Or driver feedback. Yeah. And they're not, they're not really doing very much there. The feedback one is a very interesting. You've been doing that one. I've been working on that one yesterday and I realize I need to park it until the weekend when I can have focus time. But we changed that question. It was originally... Total work environment. How do you know that you're uh, providing the, the, you know, the best total work experience or something like that for the drivers? That meets the needs of your drivers. Yeah, uh, which is really about 
how do you get feedback to know you're doing the right thing? So this year we reworded it to be, how are you getting feedback uh, from your drivers and what do you do with that feedback? And what has struck me as I'm going through it is the number of fleets that don't tell me how they're getting feedback. They just tell me all the ways that they tell drivers what's going on. They talk about communication is so important and we're so focused on it. And here is all of the ways that we're posting information for drivers. We record a message on a hotline that drivers can get every week and we put out uh, uh, an email newsletter or we post this, or we post that, but it's all going to the drivers. Yeah. Nothing coming back from the drivers. Right. And all of the drivers have an opportunity to respond to that or reply to it or something, but there's not the company soliciting driver opinions or there's still a bunch of the, well, you know, we have these tools available if drivers want to use them. We have an anonymous email. There's a suggestion box. You know, they can come to us with something. So it's kind of that passive. I'm sitting here waiting for them to come and tell me. And with social media, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. There's so much effort coming from the office to somehow, I don't know, to somehow make drivers. I I think people get a little bit too caught up in the, their own little stardom you know it's easy to get blind spots you get wrapped up in you know and and you start this thing with good intentions and you want to do a good job of it and you get focused on doing a really good job and you end up just having this thing consume you and you get that social media feedback you get thousands of followers like oh my god it's working people are here like they want to see more from us this is great but it does not translate necessarily into more drivers like what is it that you're actually getting out of it now it could be that there is is some engagement from the drivers. Like there are some people who have call-in, mm-hmm. the drivers can call in and stuff like that. But what is really missing is the very, very simple private area to talk. Yeah, a place where you're asking drivers to give you feedback. You don't need, oh, have a driver be in charge of it. Yeah. I mean, you don't need anything fancy. All you need is a place for them to go to talk. So the top marks are on... You know, we have a private Facebook group where drivers can go and talk to blah, 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 blah. Or better yet, there's a spouse Facebook group that spouses can go and ask questions and do all of this. I've been talking about private Facebook groups and Facebook Live for like donkey years. That's the third level then. If the first part was the sales pitch of just marketing, the second one was entertainment. Mm -hmm. And then the third one is the Engagement. engagement. Yeah. And it's not about necessarily giveaways and prizes and stuff like that that's not really that's entertainment that's entertainment and it's not really it will may engage some drivers but not on a very thoughtful basis you want people's brains like you want you don't necessarily want them to just be your fans you want them to be your team and to move people from a fan base to your team takes some work mm-hmm and it's not work that you do yourself. You have to do it with the drivers. So the really cool things that I've seen are WhatsApp is like I, one fleet was using WhatsApp as a as a a way for their drivers to communicate, or it, they there or there's a couple of other apps where it's basically communication anywhere where drivers are given an area to communicate freely is really what you want to do and also have that engagement with the office. So it's not just drivers, you know, complaining about stuff. There has to be back and forth between the office and drivers. And so town halls, doing Facebook Live, where you're answering questions as you go. Like some fleets are doing it, but not considering that Facebook Live is free. And 
around for a long time now. And easy to do. I'm amazed that more fleets aren't doing it. They're still doing the, you know, the marketing, kind of the marketing focus type of thing where social media. And I remember, oh God, you know, six or seven years ago where if they use social media at all, we were like, yeah, way to go. And if they're using it for anything other than posting openings, <laughs> they're getting a lot. But yeah, it's come a long way. I mean, it, it's pervasive now. It, it is just baked into the DNA of our society. You have to use social media. If you're in any kind of business function, you've got to have social media happening. Part of your marketing now. It's not just part of marketing. It's part of HR. It's part of business operations. Much as we don't really want it, but... Well, for the trucking companies that aren't using tools like Slack or um, other ways of having sort of group collaboration or group communication, social media is the way to go. So, you know, we would have a Slack channel uh, for that, for people to collaborate. And if we needed a space for spouses, we would have the spouses as single channel guests to come in there and, and talk. And trucking companies really aren't using that. They're not, well, there's one or two that I've seen mentioning using Teams for stuff. So they're sort of going down that road a little bit for collaboration. But for the most part, they're not. They don't have email addresses for their people. They're not really contacting them. They're not taking advantage of those tools. So social media is the next best option. It's the easiest and cheapest way to, well, especially drivers, because most of them are there. Yep. And the nice thing about Facebook Live is that you can then sort of transform it into other, you know, uh, in, into other platforms. So you can use it on Instagram. You could probably do a, rec a screen recording and put it on YouTube. It's your own content. You can do what you want with it. And some people are doing that. Some people are using lots and lots of channels. There's a lot of TikTok going on right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people exploring that. Yeah, and that's kind of cool that, that they are, you know, like before people would only kind of use social media kind of reluctantly. Yeah. And so it, there were new, like new social media venues were like, eh, okay, maybe if we have time kind of thing. But TikTok is like, okay, we're there now. It, it didn't take any time. It, it, was, it was like, you know, TikTok arrived, trucking is there. That's the fastest that I've ever seen trucking adopt anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, so we have the three levels. Do you have the three levels that you're seeing in anything else? Well, the ones that I go back to uh, were the uh, observations made by Rick uh, when he was doing interviews in the fall that I thought were beautiful. The three levels of maturity of a fleet, which is things we do to drivers, things we do for drivers and things we do with drivers. And he really noticed that pretty early on when he's doing interviews, that there are definitely questions where they say, you know, here's the things that we do. And it's really, we're doing this to the drivers. It's kind of one way, just dumping it out on them. And then the second level is like, oh, well, we should be nicer to these people. So here, we're going to do all this stuff for you. Whether you want it or not, we're doing it for you. The charity, the charity version, yeah. Yeah, the third level of maturity is the uh, engagement with drivers to say, okay, what is it that we should be doing? Let's collaboratively figure that out and then do it. And I thought that was a really smart observation uh, from an outside outsider coming in to do the interviews for the first time, starting to notice that. Uh, so I'm definitely seeing that in the questions that I'm scoring. I, I've scored a bunch of sort of the numbers questions and things like that um, for now, but I'm, I'm certainly seeing that in some of the other program related type questions where there are people that really aren't doing very much. There are people like even this question on the feedback, there's the people that basically just tell me how they tell drivers stuff. You know, they're doing that to the drivers. We're giving you information. 
And then there's the people that are doing it for the drivers as we have this option, we have that option, but they haven't really worked with drivers to figure out what's the best um, best plan for them. And then the top level are the people that are working with drivers to have some collaboration sort of uh, committees. They've got, uh, they'll often have the private Facebook groups, but management will post questions in there to collect feedback and things like that. So they're working together. I, everyone should do that. That's such an amazing idea. You know, post some questions that you want to know the answers to. You want to know what a driver wants? Post a question. What do you guys want? Yeah. And I think, I have to say, one of the things that's driving me up the wall is the the tendency for um, people to talk about women, drivers who happen to be women as females. We had a whole other conversation about that, but the different labels. I'm just shaking my head, man. Yeah. Well, there aren't very many women in the industry. Well, yeah, that's right. There's girls in the office and there's females driving. I don't know why women is, is such a bad word. Yeah. I don't know why. It, I, I find it like, because you don't talk about males. What's funny is through this conversation that we've been having for the past couple of months, you know, as, as we sort of realized this specific bit of language and the, the subtext, uh, I have noticed that there are particular cases where people are referred to as male or female in situations where they want to kind of not so much dehumanize them, but remove the personal connection yeah. or, 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 and it's, it's, it's police, law enforcement. We're looking for a, a male of this height, uh, this wearing age. this age. Yeah. yeah. Not, we're looking for Fred, we're looking for a man or anything like that. It's always a male or a female and it creates a separation that person isn't one of us. They're different. You know, the male of the species with this size, this weight, uh, wearing this outfit. That is what we're seeking. It can't be your employees that you talk to about like Well, that. anytime that happens, like I definitely see that uh, with people talking about women drivers is there's a con- disconnection there. There's a separation of, well, you know, we have the drivers. Well, we got these guys that'll do this or do that. And they're always the guys. Mm-hmm. And we have some female drivers, too. You think about the language, right? So you talk about the guys. The guys are buddies. The guys are a group. The guys are part of your in-crowd. Females are... Outside of the line. Yeah, like some sort of test tube baby. It, that's what... I think it's so weird how how lang- how they how people use language to... In, like, they don't even intend to, but there's that, you know, putting people into categories. Very subtle. And well. they don't talk about drivers as people. That's the other thing that kind of drives me up the wall. And this is, I've no- noticed this for years and years and years, that, you know, when people log into our system, when people use this, we know that the people who use the system are probably drivers, but we don't need to say that they're drivers. They're people. Mm-hmm. They're people who are using a system. There are people who are, uh, you know, moving freight. And I think that's why we use in our courses, we use people's names. We don't use, we, we refer to them as a driver as an introduction. But after that, we don't say, we don't say. A 40 year old male. Yeah. Yeah. Or this female driver or, and I was telling, I was talking to Trish about this yesterday. I had a long call with Trish yesterday about, I'm very fascinated with language. I think language is super powerful and and the words that you choose to use are, you know, make a huge difference. And you have something, there are things that bug you that your whole reach out. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. So much. (laughs) Just keep your damn hands to yourself. Because everybody says reach out. I'm going to reach out to so-and-so or, you know. 
Yeah, eight years ago, that entered the lexicon, and it it has uh, been a scourge. That has been a language pandemic. Nobody says call or email anymore. Or even contact. Well, I like contact. Contact is my go-to word, because I don't always know if I'm going to call them or email them or whatever. And email has its own, like, I, I'm still hung up on the fact that it used to be a plural noun, but now it has an S on it. Yeah, but reaching out is the worst. Reaching out, well, that's the worst for you. Yes, Oh, remember we were watching a show and it's like from 15 years ago or the 60s before anyone ever said reach out and they were all saying reaching out. Oh, yeah. And we're like, no, nobody no, said no that. No one then. said that. <laughs> yeah. And how language evolves, you know, it's it's very and it's evolving so fast now. Yes. From Because of uh, just, I think, the Internet. Yeah. So much changes so quickly. Mm-hmm. Well, we have to... Uh, Reach out to some experts no! and get some get some feedback on that. <laughs> Maybe some female experts and get some feedback. See, that just sounds gross. We're going to reach out to some females. It's just like, <laughs> ew, keep your hands to yourself. Yeah, well, I think, you know, there will be a big step up when people can just call women women. I know. You know, a girl is someone who's 15. Yeah. Uh, women are, you have women working in the, you have 40-year-old people who identify as as female, they are called women. Yep. They can they can be called women. Please call me a woman. I don't want to be called a girl, a chick, a skirt, whatever. Like I'm I'm a woman. And it's it's so weird. It's like you have to reclaim your like just that word. Like just please, I want to be a woman. Just like you're a man. You're a man. It's got it's good. Yeah, I have no response to I that. I know. You have all the good words associated with you. Women have a lot of derogatory words that are associated with that. Like, and it's so much easier to find a derogatory word for a woman than it is for a man. I mean, you can come up with derogatory words for men. It's, yeah. You can, but it's easier to be more derogatory towards a woman, even when you don't intend it. Yeah. Completely unintentional, which I think is, is very interesting. Yes. Language has a lot of power. Which is what I said 10 minutes ago. Yeah. I'm summarizing. Okay. Thanks. Now moving on. Are we doing anything else that isn't scoring? I don't really think no. so. No. <laughs> <laughs> Normally this would be the part where we talk about other product stuff. No. We had we had a vacation and then we scored and that was it. And it feels like it was just, you know, bang, bang, bang. Technically we did have time off in there, didn't we? Didn't feel like it. No. Scoring started and it was basically the end of vacation. Yeah. Well, in theory, there's other stuff happening. So that will be the next episode. More on that next time. This has just been in all best fleets all the time. Which I think is kind of an annual thing for us. You know, we're deep in the middle of it. We're going to have an episode that is devoted to that as we go through it and sort of recap what we've found so far. And you know, the next episode of this, I think we will be probably getting ready to do the announcement. Mm-hmm. So we will have all of the pieces ready there. All the scoring will be finished. So we'll probably spend most of the time talking about best fleets then. As we do. Yeah. And then we will be starting to get on to some other things as well, but probably still mostly best fleets. That is basically our January. We're finding a ton of interesting stuff. Yes. Once again, what are we about halfway through? I mean, there's just so many things that we still need to score. Yeah, we're pretty much finished with the HR strategy. So hoping today we get mostly through operational strategy, then that'll take us, it'll be a little bit more than halfway through. Sounds good. All right. Well, we can wrap it up there. Mm -hmm. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. Have a great day. Bye.